0: <laughs> welcome everyone to the wonderful world of remnant radio i've got Kinfish; he's back with us we're gonna be talking about devils it's gonna be an exciting program you guys stay tuned You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowdfunded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. And do we have a show for you today? Uh, If you don't know, Ken, you probably haven't been watching radio very long we've had some fantastic episodes with ken discussing the courts of heaven we've had ken come on to talk about healing the abomination of desolation we've talked about freemasons uh, we go back you should go check out the archives ken's got a fantastic ministry orbis ministries you can find tons of stuff on his website and app he's got books he's got videos he's got all kinds of content e-courses the works you got to check it out he's got fantastic content uh, but before you start jumping into the google searches i want to remind you that remnant radio is entirely crowdfunded so if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description to do so. And the top two links are for PayPal and Patreon. A one-time gift can be given on PayPal. But if you want to be a recurring giver, I would recommend you give on Patreon. Because uh, if you give there, you get access to a little bit of extra content. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to... My comrades in arms today. I've got Ken Fish on the right, and I've got Michael Roundtree on the left. Michael, as much as I like to say Ken's one of my friends and has been on the show quite a bit, he's actually been your friend longer than he's been my friend. And I said this to Ken earlier. He might become one of my weirdest friends, not because I have a lot of normal friends, but I think the church needs to be a little bit weirder. And I don't mean that. In, we'll unpack that a little bit in a moment. But Michael, Ouch. how weird is Ken on in your friends list? That's that's really what I want to know. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny, Ken. Ken sees the weirdest
1: miracles, I'm telling you. its I mean, they're awesome, and I believe them, and I've been with Ken and seen some of them, and uh, and he talks about uh, quite a few of them in his books. So, uh, But the thing is, Quinn, K- Quinn, Ken is as orthodox as the day is long. He's Amen. a Bible-believing Christian, stands up on inerrancy, stands up on the authority of Scripture, all the historic doctrines goes to bat on the historic doctrines, yet he just happens to believe that God moves in powerful ways. And Josh, it kind of reminds me. You know, I was talking with uh, Tim Wimber this week, John Wimber's son, and he was telling me these humble brag, these stories of just like, you know, they're just praying over somebody, and like bizarre things happen. Like he told a levitation story, and and he's just like, he's telling me decades later, Tim, he's like, I still don't know what to do with that. So, Ken. You're one of those people where, although I haven't heard a levitation story from you, uh, that when you talk, I'm just like, man, uh, just the, the stories that you tell, you're, you're seeing the Holy Spirit move in ways where it's just like, I, you, it takes you back to the Bible. Okay, where's this? Where's that? And, uh, and we're going to do some of that today. We're going to walk through, we're going to look at some of Ken's experiences. We're going to walk through his book, On the Road with the Holy Spirit, uh, really enjoyed reading his book. And then uh, and then we're going to talk about the experiences as well as the scriptures. How do those align? How do we wrestle through some of this? And so, Ken, excited to have you on the show, but more than all the miracles and the power and all all that fun stuff, Ken, you're just one of my favorite people to talk to. And I just uh, love our friendship. Thankful for you. And it's always great to have you on the show. So, great to meet you, And I also appreciate our
2: friendship. I'm glad that our paths crossed and we've gotten to know each other.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, Josh, he's kind of like the third wheel in this friendship, really. It's like like you said, Josh, you kind of came in late to the game and Ken and I already had this friendship, but, you know, it's it's good that you're here
0: well hey i'll i'll just get cards on the table again uh i i, I want people to have qualified phrases when i said weird earlier when my wife was sick for six months i got into a car and drove as fast as i could to a ken fish meeting okay so uh when i say that i want you to know i trust my family with ken in that regard so uh very <laughs> well, and uh, you, very honored to have you back on and excited to and you got results stuff too you yeah got
1: results yeah,
0: too fantastic. uh Ken, you know, we've already kind of blown a bunch of smoke uh, just now, but uh, for anything that I haven't already mentioned with Orbis Ministries and the apps, tell us a little about yourself, your ministry, how people can connect with you and the best ways to connect with you before we dive into the content today.
2: Well, the simplest and easiest way to connect is through our uh, website, OrbisMinistries.org and Orbis is spelled uh, O-R-B-I-S Ministries.org, not .com, .org. And uh, we also have an app, which uh, we have a QR code you can use to download the app if you'd like to do that. We have a lot of free content available on the app. We have a, a store on the website. That's, that's probably your fastest and easiest way. The other thing that you can find on our website is links to our online prayer room, uh, the Orbis Prayer Ministry Network. Uh, where people who need ministry prayer can uh, sign up for a free appointment. If people want to give a donation, we'll take it, but we don't charge to pray. And then uh, the other thing we have is a school, which is Orbis School of Ministry, uh, which the website for that one is a slightly different, orbissm.com. You can find the links to both the prayer room as well as the links to the uh, school on the landing page of the website. So the, everything begins and ends there. Um, that's the easiest and quickest way. Again, org. All right. Hey, Can
1: hold you, out, that, you, uh, hold you, out you. that book for us. To, tell us about your, book. about your
2: book. Yeah, so this book here, yeah, uh, On the Road to the Holy Spirit, Spirit, it was published on June the 6th, which is interesting. Some people wouldn't know this, but June the 6th is d day the date that the Allies invaded Europe. So I don't know that's if there's right. any happenstance. But anyway, this is the book It uh, came out about two months and a bit ago.
0: That's fantastic. Hey, Ken, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of ranting and raving about the kind of power that we've seen around your ministry, uh, deliverance ministry, uh, healing, prophetic. Like you seem to walk in a lot of these in your book. You mentioned kind of like five pillars to walking in power. Maybe we just start there. Why is the church not walking in power? what would you recommend those kind of five pillars to get us back into that power space?
2: Yeah, if you go to the table of contents, I'll just show it to you here real quickly. There you go, table of contents. You'll see uh, the five pillars. Um, I guess the wrong fingers are moving right over here. So um, they are prophetic ministry, purity, power, presence, and prayer. And that might seem very vanilla, but I try to unpack each of the five pillars a bit um, with a section of each book, and then I have stories that uh, undergird and confirm all of that. The stories are really, I mean, they're true, but they're illustrations of the principles. So prophetic ministry can hardly be overstated. And I think it's, I think it's crucial that we see how important prophetic ministry is, because um, typically when there's a move of God underway, there's going to be prophets somewhere right around that leading edge of the move. Uh, The the best and easiest and most indisputable biblical example of it I can give is John the Baptist coming before Jesus. Uh, Jesus says he's, you know, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's the Elijah who was to come. Excuse me. Um, And of course, John leads a revival which gets even bigger under Jesus. It says in John 4, 1, that when Jesus, uh, when the Pharisees learned that Jesus was Uh, making and baptizing even more disciples than John. And then John adds parenthetically, although it was not actually Jesus who baptized, it was his disciples. Uh, He left there and he headed back to Galilee, basically got out of town. It was a little bit too hot. But uh, so we see that there was a huge move of God in Jesus's lifetime through Jesus's ministry. We could call it the Jesus revival, but it was preceded by the John the Baptist revival. And so God sent a prophet ahead of Jesus. Again, indisputable what all that says or means. But if we go back into the Old Testament as an example, we could look at the time of Josiah the king. Uh, Josiah was probably the most righteous king other than David that Judah and Benjamin ever had. And Josiah was a man who began to seek the Lord when he was still a boy. He became king when he was eight, but by age 20, 12 years into his reign, he was uh, determined to reform the nation of Judah from all of the idolatry, all of the backsliding, all of the things they'd gotten into under his own father uh, and his grandfather, who was Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was the real doer, but his father Ammon was hardly any better. In fact, Ammon lived only two years because the Lord took him out. Manasseh ruled for 52 years, so he'd had 54 years of well, the, the most polite term we could put on it would be mischief. But for 54 years, these two had you know led Judah down the path into all kinds of evil and treachery, bloodshed, um, sexual immorality. Um, and by the way, it even says in Second uh, Kings 23, in describing the things that were going on in the Lord's own temple, they were worshiping other gods and had idols and statues and weavings and hangings that were there for the benefit of the other gods, not for the Lord. And there were even rooms in the temple where homosexual prostitution was going on. And so the the, the culture of the temple had fallen that far. Um, when, when this all is going on, Josiah comes forth and he provokes a reformation within Jewish society. And what do you know? The Lord raises up none other than the prophet Jeremiah to stand with him in what he was doing in the 13th year of his reign, so when Josiah was 21 years old. And again, this is all indisputable. The timelines are clear from the scripture. We often don't teach this way. We may not see these things in scripture ourselves. We may have never even read these passages, but the uh, reference to when Jeremiah was raised up is in Jeremiah chapter 1, and I mentioned uh, already 2 Kings 23. So we see the role of the prophetic in bringing about huge moves of God. And I would go further and make the case that um, anytime we've seen a genuine move of God, somewhere around the edge of it or right in the center of it, there's going to be prophets prophesying. They may not have always been called prophets because in some eras of the church, uh, people didn't necessarily believe in an ongoing prophetic ministry. So they might've used a different term for it. But believe you me, if you look at these people, they functioned prophetically, whether or not they had the title. And so prophetic ministry is, is essential. It's, it's, if you will, it's like the bow on the icebreaker. It it just gets things uh, going. The second one I have in the book, I want to make, I'm just glancing so I want to make sure I stay in order with the book itself. The second one is purity. And purity is really referring to both an attitude of heart and an outward expression of life. I think it's very important that we understand that outward expression Um, Everywhere in scripture that holiness is mentioned or purity is mentioned, it always has with it some sort of connotation that the person is living an externally observable, uh, measurable, um, upright lifestyle. Their conversation is right. Their manner of living is right. How they handle the poor and the dispossessed is right. What they do with their money is right. All of these things are objective and measurable. This is not only about heart attitude. But of course, heart attitude matters because holiness in a Christian context flows outward from the purity of heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Well, if you wanna see God move, you need to have a pure heart. So purity of heart is very, very important but we have a disconnect in our time. And that is that for many people, they think it's enough to somehow be religiously fervent. And by the way, that might not be the same thing as being pure of heart. It might merely mean that you're excited about the Lord, you've had a conversion experience, you're in a social group where your friends are going after the Lord. And so you're collectively seeking God. But I know from having been through a couple of revivals and visited some others where, it wasn't my home church. Um, many times in a, in a revival culture, people still hide certain things in their lives. They don't. They aren't necessarily straight down the line pure. And so, purity is both an internal attitude of desiring purity and holiness, and it's an external thing where we can observe it going on by the choices that people make. And I think it's critical. To, to just to buttress this because I know somebody in the crowd, at least one somebody is going to be saying oh this just sounds like more legalism you know it says in the Bible that both um, Elizabeth and Zechariah and later Mary and Joseph they were selected to be the parents of respectively John the Baptist and Jesus because they had unimpeachable lives because their external, metrics of purity and holiness matched their internal attitude of heart so i hate to break it to people but it's not enough just to have a heart that says i'm excited about god there needs to be a purity and we might even say with that um, as with nathaniel uh, no guile no duplicity no saying one thing and doing another as well as something that people outside of us who are observing us, they can see that there's an unimpeachable uh, standard, and it really arises from the fear of God, the desire to live a life that's pleasing to him uh, even above pleasing men. The third pillar is power, and the power of the spirit is again it's it's basically should be something indisputable, but we've had so many centuries in which maybe the power of God was not fully on exhibit in the church, that it actually has become a point of contention for many people. And when they see it, it might unsettle them. It might frighten them. uh, It may be something where they don't really understand it. And particularly for Western minds, if we can't understand it and explain it all together fully, a lot of times that causes us great heartburn. <clears throat> but the power of God is the overt, manifest, demonstrable expression of God's power through his spirit or sometimes through his agents, for example, angels. Or what would you do if one of the four living creatures appeared to you? That's a one we don't tend to think about very much, but why not? So when we think about these kinds of things, we understand that this power dynamic is also essential because, The power of God brings breakthrough. Paul said to the Corinthian church, my message and my preaching were not only in words of human wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power in order that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. And then he goes on and he says in chapter four, verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist I'm going to insert the word only. It's not in the text, but it should be, in my opinion. Uh, The kingdom of God does not consist only in words or in talk, but in power. And so Paul's ministry was founded on the idea of the demonstrable, somehow tangible, observable uh, power of God. And so we see it there. But remember, of course, that Jesus had promised in Luke 24, 49, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so remain in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he says again in Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So this idea of power is thematically clearly laid out in scripture it's contemplated by jesus it's described by paul as a hallmark of his own ministry and you know part of part of what i guess what i've been tasked by the lord to do is to put this idea in front of people once again and remind them that the church should not be just about talk i mean talk is fine but but we've got to somehow back up what we're saying and so power is the the metric
0: Uh, Ken, can I just uh, ask a question of clarification on the power aspect? Um, you know, we're clothed with power, Holy Spirit comes upon us. Some would say, Hey, we have the Holy Spirit come upon us. Do we need to perpetually seek power? Do like what, what's our relationship with dependency on the spirit? I I think of, you know, first Corinthians 14 and first in light of first Corinthians 12, the gifts of the spirit are manifestations of the spirit right? And don't be drunk with r- wine, uh, This Ephesians 6, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So like, I make this connection of like, what what's, what's the relationship like for us? Because I think some people say, okay, great, I need the Holy Spirit because I need power. But wh- what does that actually mean? Like, h- how do I actually continue? Because most of us don't come from classical Pentecostal backgrounds. So like that relationship dependency on the spirit, wh- what would that look like? And how would you describe that?
2: Uh, It's interesting you're asking this because I I had this question asked of me on my very recent trip to Australia. Um, The power of God is the manifestation, we could say, of God's hand, of his moving in the world. It's the means by which he asserts his divine prerogative in the earth um, to modify conditions generally for the benefit of mankind sometimes he'll do it purely to display his own glory but generally for the benefit of mankind so we see the power of god on display with the 10 plagues in egypt we see it when he parts the red sea Um, we see the power of god on display notably when he raised jesus from the dead for the benefit of all mankind that those who believe in him should be saved from sin and given eternal life so we see multiple places in scripture where this is uh where this is shown i have an entire sermon on this uh called uh, why christians need the power of god but one of my conclusions in that sermon and this is not something that many people have thought very deeply about is that the power of god is actually an as is a tangible observable slash demonstrable um It's an experience of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So in in this sense, there is some congruence between what we have classically called the glory of God and what the New Testament calls the power of God. And where do we see this on exhibit? In John 11, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, "Did did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of god and then he raises lazarus from the dead well the word for miracle in greek is the word dunamis it's the word from which we get dynamite it's the word that we commonly translate power you will receive power from on high there's no question that raising a dead person is a miracle whether lazarus jesus the widow of naim's son i mean there's different stories of this in scripture and there are a few others uh tabitha and so on anyway when we see that the miracle the demonstration of power the activation the release of that power that effectuates that uh that resurrection in this series of examples i'm describing it could be turning water into wine it could be walking on water but whatever that power level is itself an encounter with god's glory and so um i think power is important for the reason that it gives us direct Mm -hmm. i could say unmediated there's a medieval theological term unmediated exposure to or contact with uh the glory of god now to be clear when we experience it here on the earth in in our you know in our mortal frame or mortal coil to use an older term you know we're we're experiencing you know a piece a particle just the smallest infinitesimal fragment of the glory of god the the, the heavens are declaring the glory of god the glory of god fills the heaven and the earth so you know when we see it localized in one p- location for whatever purpose it's it's being uh, displayed again it's just some very 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 small fraction of it but nevertheless it's our own personal experience or encounter with god's glory i think that's a really important point so to take uh, your your question further josh and to answer it i think you know we all receive the holy spirit at regeneration this is made clear to us in uh, in ephesians chapter 1 and there's a parallel passage in Now, I'm just having a brain lapse. Is it 1 Corinthians 1 or 2 Corinthians 1? It's one or the other. Um, Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, I think. Yeah. Okay. 2 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians 1. So we all get the Holy Spirit when we're converted. But the question is, similar to Jesus, when he's baptized in the river, the dove lands on him, and that's the Holy Spirit. And then he comes up out of the river, and I guess he's standing on the riverbank. By the way, that verse is Luke uh, 3, 21 and 22. He comes up out of the river. He's on the riverbank. That's Luke 4, 1. It says now he's filled with the Spirit. That sounds like something more than having a dove land on you. And then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and he comes out, and Luke 4, 14 says, now he's in the power of the Spirit. So it seems like there are these almost like successive levels of upgrade that are going on even within Jesus and Randy Clark has a book called there is more and I think there is that same dynamic in our lives as believers there's always more the question is do we grow satisfied and complacent or are we continuing to to press in and seek the more and I think mm-hmm. if we seek, we'll find and so how much is enough well I don't know I mean I I see a lot of things happen uh that are supernatural and i'm grateful to the lord for all of them but there are those who don't get healed there are those breakthroughs we don't secure at least not on the first time of praying or maybe not even sometimes on the second or third maybe if we keep at it maybe on the 20th time it does happen but but the point is i think we want to keep seeking because we hit these things where we we realize we don't yet have all that we might have or could have and the lord according to the words of Jesus, he says, fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he says, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? So I think we need more, no matter how much we have, no matter where we are on that progress scale. And I don't want to make this sound like it's some kind of competition. I don't mean it that way. It's just that, we are human beings made of the dust of the earth and somehow uh the lord has decided that he wants to put his his power his glory into these vessels made of clay we hold this treasure in earthen vessels is the way paul says it in second corinthians and so that's that's really what we're looking for is that the vessel would be cleansed would be made pure would be fit for holy uses and that with it the father would be pleased to send even more of the spirit upon the vessel or into the vessel that the vessel would be used for noble purposes in the house of God.
1: Okay, Ken. Um, So we got through, I'm going to kind of speed us along on these five pillars because I want to give us some time to kind of get into the, the meat of your book and some of the storytelling that you do there with both healing and casting out demons. But uh, to summarize, you talked about prophetic ministry as pillar one purity as pillar two, then power, Uh, The last two are presence, as in the presence of the Spirit, and then prayer. And so when these five converge, we start to see the Holy Spirit work in a lot of the ways we read in the scriptures. So uh, I want to zero in now on a specific story that you tell in your book. And it's a story about a man that you say that you cast out 600 demons from him. Now, we know from the scriptures that, you know, a legion, can inhabit a single person. So we know that a lot of demons can inhabit a single person. Mary Magdalene has seven demons cast out of her. But 600 demons, and you said that you cast them out, quote, individually and by name. Could you talk to us about the importance of finding the name in deliverance ministry? How do you receive the name? You even mentioned that some of the names had comic book character names. Like, that's just weird. So we talked about weird at the top of the show. So how did that happen? Could you just kind of reframe that story for us and put like your theological interpretation on it uh, as well? Yeah,
2: I'd be happy to do that. Um, I was uh, in Australia with that, with this particular story. And um, we held a meeting at a school, a Christian school that had, you know, rented their auditorium out. And so a lot of people were there. And at the conclusion of the kind of preaching time, I called everyone who wanted to be touched by the Lord to come to the front. And for lack of a better term, I'll call it a mosh pit. Now, for those who get offended by a term like that, let me just say, sometimes I use the language of popular culture specifically to be disarming. Um, I know that's not a theological term. I know it's not in the Bible. But we had a gathering of people at the front of the room, and I called down the Holy Spirit on them. I learned to do this from John Wimber and Blaine Cook and Lonnie Frisbee.
1: So you said, and Holy so Spirit, I, come, or you kind of elaborated on that, or kind of. I said, Holy Spirit, come. I invited him
2: to descend on this group of people. Mm-hmm. And people started vibrating and pogoing, kind of like Tim Wimber described to you. Um, These are things that we saw many times in the old vineyard movement years ago. Um, People began falling and whatnot. And there was one guy who was, as I was facing this gathering of people, there was around 50 or 60 people in this sort of semicircle or circular gathering. Uh, There was one guy that as I looked at the group For me, he was on the right. And I say it that way because, of course, a circle doesn't have a right or a left. But from my perspective, as I looked on this group of people, he was to the right side. So anyway, he was someone that I had noted in previous visits to that region, to that uh, group of people in that church. And I, I had always had a sense that he was carrying at least one evil spirit and I'd never really engaged with it. It always seemed like the timing wasn't right or just something wasn't right. So I always waited, I just waited, I just waited. And that particular day, it was the right time. And so um, when when I approached him, he fell on the floor and he began to manifest. And it was a very dramatic manifestation and people assumed he was having an epileptic seizure. And I said, he's not having an epileptic seizure. This is a demonic manifestation. Well, of course, they called the equivalent of 911, which is in the United States, our emergency response number. And uh, so I thought, man, I better get this taken care of quick, or pretty soon the ambulance is gonna roll up. (laughs) And so I grabbed him and I, I took him outside of the of the hall, just literally outside, and just outside the door, there was a grating, a metal grating and it was over a a storm culvert made of concrete. And I'd say that culvert was in the neighborhood of three meters deep or roughly nine to 10 feet. Um, And I put him on his, I said, get down on your knees. And I put him on his knees over the culvert. And I called out the first spirit that was there. And I knew what it was. I'd been observing him for, as I say, several previous visits and it came out right away. And as it did, he vomited very heavily, and the vomit went through the grating of the culvert, and you could hear it <laughs> as it hit the bottom of the culvert and splattered. So I was thinking, well, good, no cleanup. This one's a you know self-cleaning uh, deliverance. But I was glad we were outside because that meeting hall was a brand new, newly carpeted. And if this had gone on on that carpet, we would have had a you know, we would have had to get the carpet cleaned. Um, so anyway, we called out, as I remember it, nine more demons. And then it seemed like things got quiet and we were, you know, pretty well done. But even though it seemed like we were done, I was. I paused and I thought, we're not done. There's more here. And so I literally prayed this prayer aloud, this exact prayer. And I remember it very well. That's why, I, even though it was maybe nearing 10 years ago, I do remember this prayer verbatim. I said, Jesus, are we missing anything? And when I said that, the word of the Lord came to me. Now, it wasn't audible, but it was as clear as you are hearing my voice right now. And the word of the Lord came to me, and I heard it predominantly on my right side of my head, inside of my head. And the Lord said, comic books. And I kind of, what? Because I didn't even have a grid for that. I didn't I didn't have language for that. I knew that there are some things that, we'll say they're spiritually radioactive there's a taint on them and if people get involved with those things um that radioactivity can spill over and result in demonization now let's be clear there is there's no such thing that i know of as spiritual radioactivity but i use that language because most of us understand that radioactivity is dangerous It's colorless, it's odorless, it's tasteless. You can't tell a difference in temperature and yet it's very, very dangerous to you. And so when I use the term radioactivity or spiritual radioactivity, what I'm referring to is the fact that these, whatever they are, these items, uh, they may carry something that would create an opening or an opportunity for an evil spirit to afflict or assail or harass somebody. And so the Lord had told me this guy has a problem with comic books and that's his problem. That's where the spiritual radioactivity is. So initially I was operating in discerning of spirits. That's why after 10 demons came out, I kind of paused and I went, it seems like we're done. Things are quiet, but we're not actually done. And I know we're not done, but I don't know what we're missing here. So I asked Jesus, what is it? He spoke to me. And so I said to the guy, I said, are you involved with comic books at all? And just to be clear, for me, I mean, I used to read, you know, The Hulk and Spider-Man when I was a boy, but I was no longer a boy. I was a grown man. And he goes, well, not really. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, yeah, I, I do read comic books. And I said, okay, um, do you want to tell me about that? And he said, well uh there is this one and now i don't remember the name it it, it was a japanese name and it the name of it began with an n uh and but it it was a japanese
0: are you speaking of naruto
2: that might have been it actually yeah it's it's got
0: like the main character is like possessed by a demon and there's like child sacrifices there's all that that show is full of some critters Anyway, it's it's not like it's not we're not talking about guys with capes wearing their underwear on the outside of their pants flying around. We're talking about guys who literally conjure demon spirits and try to get possessed so they have powers like it's it's pretty wild.
2: Let me just ask you, Naruto, does that have a female protagonist? Because this one did.
0: I don't know that it does um, I mean they're definitely male and female characters it's a very it's a very long running show uh, anyway, n- neither here nor there i was I remember talking to Michael and Michael about it and anyway uh but yes it's it's pretty rough.
2: okay, well, it could have been Naruto w- when I tell the story now because i I don't speak Japanese and the name didn't embed in my mind. I could probably go back and ask that guy. I'm still in touch with him.
1: Uh, Sakura uh, anyway. Haruno is the main character in Naruto. That's a female. So, okay, then Sakura the, Haruno. I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That now, that sounds like the name.
2: Christian guy that's reading a comic book about witchcraft and other things, you know, getting demons for power. And so I said, "Who is the who's the protagonist in this comic book and he told me the name and so i said all right um assuming that we have the name correct as we've just diagnosed this uh i said naruto come out and then the name of the protagonist which you just gave us but i again i don't remember it even if you just said it less than a minute ago (laughs) but i said that name both of you come out and what and then what Two of them came out and I was like, wow, okay, that just shifted my own paradigm on demonization. And so I said to him, well, obviously the comic books are a problem. I said, are there more? And he goes, well, there are probably a few. And I said, okay, what have you got? And he gave me three or four more names. And so we went after the name of the comic book and the protagonist, drove them out. And he said, well, I'm remembering more. And I said, hang on, how many are there? He said, well, I actually have a whole stack of different comic books in my apartment and they're stacked up against the wall. And he said, the stack is higher than my head. And I said, hang on, how many, how many comic books would that be? And he said, I'm not sure. So I said, all right, what I want you to do is go home and make a listing of all these comic books and their protagonist. And we'll come back and pick this up. And so in those years, I was traveling to um, that part of Australia multiple times a year, sometimes three or four. And I, I remember that I met with him on at least five occasions, might have been six. And we made our way through his list and his list had 300 uh, different comic books and their associated protagonists. So 300 names of of comic books times two because again we have the protagonist that gets you to 600 that's how i know it was 600 demons and i as i said i had five or six meetings with him and we would kind of go as long as we had and then we would stop and we'd pick up again when i came back
1: through town did you tell and, him not to eat sloppy joe before you had a <laughs> prayer session he Bro, that's messed up.
0: <laughs> so can i've got i've got questions on this man because Okay, so here's some thoughts that I've got. Like, there is a mom that's sitting at home and she's worried that, well, maybe there's a kid sitting at home worried that his mom's going to watch this video and go through a satanic panic of the 90s and suddenly everything's demonic. Um, You know, monster cans have like, you know, three claw marks that look like six Hebrew sixes. And therefore it's six, 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 you know, they're trying to, trying to find the sixes in the taco bell ring. And like, if I eat taco bell, I'm going to get demonized. Um, uh, anyway, so like they're, they're kind of, they're kind of seeing those things and, and, and they just heard comic books get you demonized or could. Now we are talking about a specific kind of comic book that certainly is hyper fixating on this thing. But what, what if I were to say like, you know, someone could worship a chair. I'm not saying it's a particularly powerful God, but let's just say they sat down and worshiped something. Anything could place, have have a place of idolatry in the human heart, right? And like, if I, that were the case, if, if you're worshiping literally nothing, you, you can be afflicted by that thing. Is it possible that this guy was one, He he had some idolatry in his heart. I mean, he was collecting these comic books to the point of what 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 appears to be worship. If it's stacked well over his head, I mean, this isn't like a casual reading. This is this is seems to be idolatry. But also within that, um, it sounds like the kinds of things that he's consuming. It's not just that they're comic books, but the the quality of these comic books is deeply depraved. Is it is it possible that there is some more overlap? Like, or or should we all just like boycott Marvel? You know, Uh, how how would you advise people to go about that?
2: Um, I think it's actually fairly simple it Is the if you want to evaluate this stuff. What is the content? The scripture tells us we're to fix our minds on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenlies. And elsewhere it says we should, I learned this in New International Version, We should uh, we should think on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. And the way Paul says it in Philippians is, you know, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are admirable. Think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. So, I mean, I could, I could legitimately ask, and I actually did ask this guy, you're a Christian and you're looking at comic books that deal with black magic power, occultism, um, dismembering of people. I mean, these are things that sound more like violence and witchcraft, which are explicitly forbidden in scripture. Why are you doing this? He goes, well, I don't know. I, no one ever told me I shouldn't. And, you know, it was, it was, to me, it was exciting entertainment. And I said, well, you you shouldn't be doing that. And so when you've got your, you said to mom who's worried about her kids, um, I think that we need to be evaluating what passes the eye gate or for that matter, the ear gate of our own lives or those of our children. And so let me tell you a story on that score. This one's not in the store in the book. Um, But not long after that, I started to become aware that, and again, please don't anybody start throwing brick bats. I, I discovered this on the road with the Holy Spirit he was teaching me things that no one else had taught me and I found them to be correct. Music can be a gateway of demonization. And so also can movies and video games. Again, it's a, it's very much a function of what's the content, what's the intended purpose of the thing you're watching. So I went to the house of a pastor in another part of Australia, And I was visiting with him and his wife, and we were sitting in their, they would say lounge room, but for an American, we would say the living room or possibly the family room. And they had a son, still do have a son, who I would have said, you know, he probably was the equivalent of Saint Joseph in our time, Uh, you know, pure as the driven snow, never really got into trouble, didn't drink, wasn't out chasing girls, he was a kid, grown up in the church, raised, you know, in a Christian home, and you know he worked the sound booth at church, and he was working with the children. I mean, he was a good Christian adolescent of the kind you rarely see anymore. But he did have one thing going on, <clears throat> and that is that um, he was playing um, a video game called Mortal Kombat Three with a friend down the street, and I was telling this pastoral couple as we were sitting having afternoon tea about the guy with the 600 demons from the comic books. And so the pastor said to me, do you think video games could be a problem? And I said, I don't actually know because I haven't tried it, but I would imagine if if comic books, which are not animated and are less realistic, could be a problem then more than likely a video game could also be. So he calls back down the hall to his son and. He has, has says, hey, would you come on out here? We, I just want to ask you a couple questions. So his son comes out and he goes, Ken, tell him what you were just telling us. So I shared the story with him. And then he said, you know, do you think maybe you playing Mortal Kombat 3 might be a problem? Now, let me remind you what I already said because some would have missed it or you didn't believe it. This kid was, you know, especially for a male adolescent in the 21st century this kid's as pure as a driven snow he doesn't do anything he doesn't take drugs he doesn't drink he doesn't chase girls he's just a kid who loves god but he does like video games like everybody else seems to like video games and so um i tell him the story and his dad says you know if if the video games could be a problem would you be willing to forsake them And his son goes i would absolutely forsake them if there were a problem there and so the dad goes well give it a try ken (laughs) so here we are mom dad and son plus me and i said all right if there are any evil spirits hiding here from mortal Kombat 3 come out and i'm not kidding you the futon that he was sitting on went flying across the room and the couch went flying end over end also. He hits the, the hardwood floor, arms are like this, Aah! manifesting full level 10 manifestation. His parents' eyes are like saucers. And I just, you know, I just jumped in and drove that spirit out. And then I said, okay, who's the protagonist in this video game? And I don't remember the name. Somebody will know, but I don't remember it. Drove that one out too. And then everything subsided. So dad gets up, walks back into his bedroom, not the kids, but his own, and comes out with a shrink-wrapped packaged copy of Mortal Kombat 3. This was going to be his birthday present because this boy likes to play Mortal Kombat. And this way he doesn't have to go to his friend's house. And he goes, what do you want me to do with this? And his son said, let's burn it. And so that was the end of his birthday present of Mortal Kombat Three. Now, nothing I have said is exaggerated. Everything. Happy birthday, Junior! If we were to no birthday
1: for you. (laughs) Oh, I just said no birthday for you. (laughs) I guess he found something else to sell to some other present. Okay, so but continuing the story, so they burn it. Anything else happen? Is that the end? Uh,
2: that's the end of the story with him. But of course, this kind of sent a shockwave through their church. And as you might expect, some were like, okay, let's get rid of all of that stuff. And some were saying, uh you know it's totally fine uh, this is just an anomaly or that ken fish he's an extremist you it's, it's kind of like what you see in the bible something happens and well we know this man jesus he's a sinner he couldn't possibly have healed a blind man it's the same type of controversy that erupts when the unexpected happens and this was very much one of those so are all video games bad probably not but the vast majority of them are now, let me just tell you something else. At one time, I worked in Silicon Valley. I never worked for Electronic Arts, but I I worked um, just next door to them in another corporation. And uh, there was one particular uh, lunch place that a lot of us would go to. And because we were all in the same proximity, one day we were actually sitting at lunch, and this is before I'd gone to Australia and, it, and doing all this and this had never really registered with me. I mean, it kind of went in one ear and out the other. Sometimes, you know, our hearts don't pr- pick up everything that we're being exposed to or what we're hearing. Anyway, we're sitting there at the at the lunch place and a couple of guys came in from EA as it's known on the uh, in Silicon Valley. And they were talking about how they were writing programming for the games that are, you know, coming up, the new releases. And they were talking about how they were deliberately including things that were evil. Um, in order to um, attract the the young adults that would be interested, they literally said this. I literally, with my own ears, overheard this in the in the lunch place. Now, I wasn't talking to them. They were the next table over. Um, And they made some comment that I don't remember all the details, but they said, oh, yeah, and we're also bringing in people to like invoke spells or, you know, give it some sort of extra spiritual supercharge, something like that. I don't again, I don't remember the particular verbiage. It didn't register on me at the time. But when this happened in this living room in my pastor friend's house with his own teenage son, who, again, this is the modern Joseph of Mary and Joseph. I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, uh, the Lord had kind of tipped me off about this and I didn't even realize what I was hearing and seeing. But now with my own eyes, I've seen the power of this. And so there were some kids in the church that gave up their video games and went through deliverance. And by the way, those are two separate things. It's not enough just to get rid of the video game. Uh, You also would need deliverance if you've been engaged with these types of games. But on the other hand, some games wouldn't have that kind of negative spiritual power that kind of radioactivity um they would just be games like i, I think brick breaker is probably safe pac-man is probably safe um i'd feel safer That's with brick sure. than Pac-Man, but Honk. but when you start moving into games that are focusing on violence bloodshed dismemberment mass murder anything like that i, I think now you are definitely at risk
1: hmm. okay ken um so let me ask you this how do we How do we avoid some kind of like charismatic legalism? Here's what I mean by that. Okay, so Old Testament, 613 laws, and then the Pharisees come through and they kind of spell out multiple laws for all of those laws. So there's countless thousands of laws that they have. And so there's not just keep the Sabbath, but there's a Sabbath day journey. And then there's this and there's that and all across the board. So how do you know, I'm just kind of speaking, for instance, as a pastor, like the way I've tended to pastor people is that in areas where I don't have a clear chapter and verse for like that is sin. uh, I don't want to tell people, hey, that's sin if I don't have a clear chapter and verse for it. But if I do have a clear chapter and verse now, so I'm speaking bigger than these stories, just kind of across the board. I, You know, I have seen some charismatics go to a place of of creating a, a new sort of charismatic legalism where there's everything you do, you could get a demon and, and so on. And, uh and so like, just kind of how do you navigate this? Because you're somebody who's seen a bunch of crazy stuff. I like, if I had that experience, what you just described, I would just be, I'd be like, burn it all down, you know? But like, <laughs> how do you, how do you even navigate that without, you don't want to create, rules the Bible doesn't have. Uh, but you also, yeah, I, I don't know. I've said enough, maybe. How do you navigate it?
2: Well, I think most of the stuff in Scripture, there are, there are governing principles that are embedded in the language of the various texts or teachings. So one of them that I mentioned comes out of Philippians, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. All right. Well, if we use that as our template, then a lot of things that we might consider looking at or engaging in they aren't that and it says the god of peace will be with you well presumably the inverse is also true if it's untrue uh, ignoble uh, wrong uh, impure ugly or i don't know unlovely and despicable then maybe the god of this world will be with you and so With that, I would just advise people to stay away from things that are of that nature. And that's why I said, I don't think we need to abandon all video games, but we need to be discerning about what's in the video game or the comic book or the movie that we're thinking about seeing. You know, there's a lot of things that are out there these days. Let's talk about movies for a moment. Um, What passes as R-rated these days, I think when I was a boy, I remember when movie ratings came out. I couldn't tell you the year, but I distinctly remember that suddenly there were these ratings, and that meant that some movies were off limits to me unless, for example, I had my mother take me. My father died when I was young, so having my dad take me wouldn't have been an option. And and with that, I understood that I, I wouldn't be able to see some movies without her being present unless I sneaked in. And part of that was designed to have the parents be, de- be determiners of what i'm going to let my kid observe but it's also that certain things would not be seen by as we used to say the young and the tender because a lot of times especially with children their, their sensibilities are they don't have the defenses up emotional or intellectual defenses up against things that could be shocking uh, perhaps we might say uh, traumatizing i think that word's overused but anyway we'll use it here um and so this rating system came into being. But I think what passes as R-rated these days would probably have been X-rated, much of it, not all of it, much of it, uh, back in the day when when those ratings first came out. And it it comes down to things like I'm suggesting. And I think it, it might be more than simply six metrics, uh, uh, true, noble, and right, pure, lovely, and admirable. But But that's a pretty good representation. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, when we think about, you know, you were talking about the Sabbath, I think the principle of the Sabbath is very important. If we don't take care of our bodies, including giving them rest, um, our bodies will get tired and they will break down. And a lot of times when people develop physical ailments in their bodies, it's because they've been pushing them too hard. Adrenal fatigue would be a classic example of that, but there would be other things as well. And so how might you avoid adrenal fatigue? Keep a Sabbath. Now, does it have to be Saturday? Apparently not, because the early church changed the date of observance of the Lord's day to Sunday, based on the fact that Jesus rose on a Sunday. And so they began worshiping on Sunday, not Saturday. But the idea of keeping a day of rest and of quiet was very widespread for most of the era of Christian history. And I can tell you again, I'm an eyewitness to this. I remember as a boy, especially when I would go visit my grandparents in Michigan, nothing was open on Sunday. There might be one or two pharmacies if you needed to get an emergency prescription, um, but nothing else was open. No grocery stores, um, no, uh, no department stores. Uh, first responders were on duty, uh, police and fire and, and ambulance, but, but that was because they might be needed. And otherwise on Sunday, you stayed home and you rested. You might play games with your family you might spend some time reading the bible and thinking about it meditating on it Uh, but but there were things called blue laws i mean you literally couldn't do anything on sunday and this was true across most of the united states of america into the 1970s and today of course everything's open everywhere on sunday and so when do people really take a sabbath and You know, even church going folk, a lot of times they go to church in the morning and then on the way home, they stop and they do their shopping and they, I got to, you know, pick up the dry cleaning or you know whatever it is. They're they're just doing stuff. And so the Jewish mind was you need to rest and you do it because not not even because you need it, although you do, because Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for them, for the Sabbath or mankind. Um, But you do it mainly because on the seventh day, God rested. And so we are we are modeling God. We are following his thoughts after him. So a lot of times I'm traveling, and typically on Sundays in particular, I'm busy working. I'm, I'm speaking. I'm getting on an airplane, going home. So for me, it's unusual to take Sunday off. And it's even more unusual to take Saturday off because Saturday is usually the big day of whatever weekend event I might be doing. But sometime during the week, I try to take a Sabbath, to take Sabbath. And not be involved not in involved. All, all, you know, counseling people or answering the myriad of texts that come in. I just try to vanish on that day so I can rest because I think it's important to do. So that's yeah, how I, mean, I that's how
0: I, so many questions in connection to that. Cause I'm thinking in terms of like, okay, principle, what, what principles, you know, if I'm trying to follow a principle, but I follow the principle incorrectly, does that, me open to demonization it's like there's so many questions i have on this subject like you know for example witchcraft witchcraft is bad um, but what kind of witchcraft is bad to be consuming in media terms? Is Lord of the Rings bad? Well, it's using witchcraft to communicate a medium of a message that is inherently Christian, and it's not like the whole thing is about spell casting, or it's just like a a, a tool that's driving a story along. But then it's like, well, there are other stories that really have nothing to do with magic, but magic's involved, and it's a little bit darker. It's like, like when do we become principles into like? Anyway, I could just I can see this whole conversation spiraling into something that's extremely interesting and extremely important for our audience. But Ken, we're right at the hour mark. Uh I've got to go pick up my daughter from gymnastics, which I hope doesn't get her demonized. Um but you just uh, set that up. Uh, but, but we royally. won't know until we do a part two with you. So Ken, I really need to I need to it leave, leave us on a cliffhanger. And uh I really wanna answer more of these questions. So we might have to just connect with alicia and get you scheduled again soon uh and maybe we can even air these episodes back to back if we get the chance to i know you've got a crazy busy schedule but there's so many interesting things that i have to ask you about when it comes to this um anyway uh i i, I we do need to wrap up so uh ken let me let me ask you this what would be uh for people who are out there they've watched this they're like man i've got to dive deeper hopefully we'll have a part two out soon uh, but when it comes to this subject where would be the place that you would recommend whether it be a book? Whether it be, you know, YouTube videos that you've released or whatever, conferences, like where would be a place for people to get trained and equipped in this stuff? Because it just seems like there's a lot of content out there. It seems like there's a, a whole bunch of stuff going on in the charismatic space. And some of it's just not super healthy. Some of it's kind of dangerous. Where would you advise people to go learn and grow in this, you know, if they're just now being introduced to this in this, you know, one hour conversation?
2: Well, my book has some conversation about some of this, although that's not its primary focus, so it's not all about that. Um, I have materials available in our store on the website, again, orbisministries.org, uh, dealing with not only basic level deliverance, but advanced level deliverance, as well as spiritual warfare. And I cover a lot of these kinds of, shall we say, thornier issues uh, there, uh, but but I and then beyond that in my school the orbis school of ministry which is orbissm.com we have um, a three level course on deliverance called uh, breaking bondage 101 102 103 and we also have advanced training called deep restoration which takes an integrated approach to inner healing and advanced deliverance topics and we've seen immense breakthrough for people who have partaken in any or all of that so uh, I guess I would direct people there as a place to start. <clears throat> um, a lot of the material that I have, uh, not so much at the advanced level, but certainly at the beginning level, is uh, comes out of material that Derek Prince has written, and Francis McNutt. Um, I think they're two of the more balanced people around. But they're both dead so um but their books are available and so
0: that might be it's always safe to recommend them. dead people that's a, that's what uh, uh uh steve hill said if you recommend people who are dead they don't fall into moral scandal you know on the you know on the back end that they're good if you recommend them uh, that's right, uh, that's right. I um know, I, I, I tried, I, tried I, to
1: uh still tried to I, go, I, go I, to a dead I, person I, didn't really work out for him <laughs>
2: uh, let, let kid <laughs>
0: finish his thought
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm working on a book right know, now called yeah, integrating and um and the first part of it is part it'll be a multi-volume uh book but the first volume will probably get promised late here assuming that we stay on track with the writing and production so um oh, soon wow. i'll have people can read that are dedicated to this kind of uh, material so that would that would be a third thing but it's not yet available it's just so they can anticipate when it does come out
0: Fantastic. Well, we look forward to it all. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for coming on again. We'll get you scheduled for another episode because I've got, I've got more questions. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be jealous of your time. Uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant. If you want to support the channel, check out the links in the description. Uh, lots of links down there where you can support PayPal, Patreon, all that good stuff. But also, uh, we have other videos that we've done with Kinfish. So if you enjoyed this episode, maybe check out some of those other videos in the playlist below. Uh, we talk about the abomination that makes desolate. Uh, we talk about uh, man, the courts of heaven, a couple series with him on the courts of heaven. We've got lots of content out there, even on Freemasons and other various things. So check out all of those videos below. And we'll see you next time from 4 to 5 p.m. at Central Standard Time on Monday and Wednesday. Blessings, guys. Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo